Hi, I'm Adam Miller. And I'm Sarah Sweet. And welcome to Food on the Radio. Hi, Sarah. How you doing? Hey, Adam. Welcome back from your travels. Yay, I'm back. And welcome to my home. Oh, it's so great to be in your house again. Well, Sarah, so we are back after actually a long time. We skipped an episode because I went on a trip. Tell us about Portugal. Well, it was fantastic. I had been to Portugal when I was 18 years old. 500 years ago. A really long time ago. (laughs) I have no memories of it uh, except... You were 18. I wasn't that concerned with the cultural experience. I was more concerned with the things 18-year-olds are concerned with, which was drinking for free and (laughs) drinking cheaply, which Mm. in 1974... You were 18 in 19... (laughs) Let's not be overly accurate here. Um, (laughs) I was 12. Um, I was 11. But, but, you know, it was Portugal, so you could still sit in cafes and drink wine. I see. But Portugal still is a very affordable, maybe the most affordable country in in Southern Europe. (laughs) And... uh, and then it was super cheap, so you could just sit in a cafe and nobody said, oh, can I see the wine list? Right. You sat in a cafe somewhere outside and said, wine, red. <laughs> right. That sounds more like an 18-year-old's order. Which wasn't it. Right. And for like $3, you got a giant carafe of of strong, dry, good, hearty Portuguese red wine. Okay. And that was sufficient for all of our needs. <laughs> So you went a million years ago and you have no memory of this because no you were drunk it. on cheap red wine. That's okay. basically the story. <laughs> um, so went again uh, by myself, did actually meet a friend there. Um, like a new had, friend or? An old friend oh, okay. <laughs> who had been to Portugal many times and that was really fun because she knew a lot about it. Okay. But anyway, I went to Lisbon and Porto. Okay. And just so people know, when you drink what's known as port wine, Mm -hmm. it is actually called port because most port wine came from Porto, Portugal. Fun fact. It's really interesting is that Portuguese cuisine and culture is very much a part of southern New England. Right. Uh, And so that was kind of cool, too, uh, because there are dishes and flavors that we've experienced in our lives. And I grew up in Rhode Island where there was a large Portuguese community. And, you know, one of the probably staples of Portuguese food is something called bacalhau, which it's... Oh, yes. We've talked about this before because your niece or someone made this with you. Yes, my niece-in-law is from Portugal. And in the Italians in in Spain and and Italy, all of those countries have a version of what they call bacalhau in Portuguese. I think it's bacalhau. Okay. Um, But anyway, it is salt-dried cod. Okay that you then need to soak for hours and hours and rinse and soak and go on and go on. Anyway, it is served in every single restaurant in in Portugal mm. in some form. Okay. Um, so I did have bacalhau several times, um, <laughs> the salt cod. It's okay, but I must say I, I, I really wanted to venture f- away from it after <laughs> after a few tries. A little too salty. Um, no, not too salty. It it ha- it's 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 a very firm kind of meaty experience because it's a reconstituted sort of fish, right. and it, you know it it just it wasn't as interesting as I would hoped it would be. Hmm. Um, and then I also wanted to try other things. One of the fantastic things about Portugal is that it has incorporated a multiculturalism. With it is this really great 
wide range of culinary experiences you can have in Portugal that are very much a part of every Portuguese person's daily lives of Brazilian and African and uh, Middle Eastern flavors. Uh, and they have their own version of kind of rotisserie chicken, which is really popular. They have the peri-peri, which has an African tradition. Um, that was really good. Uh, there, I tried something which was also a national dish in Porto. Known as dobrada. And this is the kind of thing that grosses you out probably, which is tripe. <laughs> yeah, I was um, gonna say. Tell us what tripe is. Well, tripe is, I think, is it the stomach or it's the like intestines? Guts, right? It's 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 the it's the stomach lining of usually a cow or a cow. and it is stewed forever and ever in the hopes of making it chewable. <laughs> um, and it's part of a, a stew that's a very well known stew in Portugal, especially in Porto, the second city of Portugal. I loved Porto. I do want to recommend it to everybody. Uh, friendly city, very affordable. And so they have this stew that includes chorizo, which is Portuguese sausage, mm. and some sort of ham and beans. So it's kind of a cassoulet and kind tripe? of casserole and tripe. As much as I tend to be a very adventurous eater, and I don't mind things like livers and you know gizzards and that sort of thing, I, I didn't find tripe to be really. Um, I, they didn't sell me on the tripe. You could do without having this. I could do without it. It wasn't really that interesting. There were there was things about the stew that were tasty, but the tripe wasn't one of it. It is just kind of chewy and, and not that interesting. The fun thing about being in Portugal with someone who'd been there before is when you're also there long enough. You recognize there's all kinds of different nationalities that find themselves having restaurants in any large city in Europe or America. Probably for, anywhere. <laughs> probably anywhere. Is that the two of the great meals that I had was one was a Nepalese restaurant. Okay. But the really fun meal was a Georgian restaurant. Oh. And not Georgia, America, you mean in Georgia. Russia. Georgia is south of Russia. Yeah. And that was delicious. I'm even going to. No one thought you meant Georgia. <laughs> the name of the, the restaurant. It was called Nadi with an exclamation point, and but it was fantastic. All kinds of new flavors. But the best thing they had was a dumpling called a kinkale or kinkali. It's it's a dumpling. It's served sort of like, almost like a large, almost dim sum kind of dumpling. Is it steamed or? It's. I think it's steamed. It okay. has a meat filling. I think it's a mixture of like lamb and beef, mm. and but it's a soup dumpling. Come on. So it's and they're large, though. They're bigger than... It's filled with soup? It's filled with both soup and meat. How do you eat it? You have to... And, and Without they, burning they, your face. They instruct you on how to eat it. Okay. Um, it is pinched together at the top. Okay. So it looks like an upside-down mushroom. Okay. Sort of like a large mushroom. Or like a challenge flag in the NFL. Kind of like okay. that, yes. <laughs> and you hold it. She said you hold it and then you want to bite it over the bowl okay. carefully. And yeah. then you slurp and bite as you go until you are left holding the pinched top, which right. is like the handle. I feel like you need to enjoy this meal with someone you're very good friends with. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of messy and yeah. slurpy. Um, absolutely delicious. Of course, the funny thing is, is that they say, and then you and then you don't eat the handle. No way. Well, I ate two of the handles. Yeah. Until it's like, but it's made of yummy dumpling noodle substance. Why would you not eat it? Because your hands were touching it? I agree. Um, but I was looked at askance. They were like, but, this hobo get him out of here yeah it was i was look and i realized that because she said oh uh you ate some of them and i was like 
Yeah, I know. I just couldn't resist, but I'll, but I then I felt really bad. And, it's like and, drinking the juice from the finger bowl. Or something. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Nobody else was eating. To me, it also seemed wasteful. I saw people, them having their table cleared with all of, to me, basically. You're pasta. like, could I get your yeah. little dumpling handles? I, I just wanted a dip to put dip in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually, that was the highlight of my of my. They stamped your here. passport on the way out. Like he's a dumpling handle eater. <laughs> yeah. You're barred um, from uh, return. But it was great. And I'm, I'm sure there's some Georgian restaurants. So if you find a Georgian restaurant anywhere in the States, get King Kali. It's absolutely delicious and great. Um, the other thing I had that I really enjoyed in, in Portugal, I had a flaming chorizo. And that, that was really good. Like it was on fire or yes. it was spicy? No, it was on. They lit it on fire. They bring it to your, it was in Porto on the, on the, um, on the waterfront. And they bring you this giant sausage. And then they have a little, uh, um, you know, stick lighter kind of thing, and they just ignite it, and they just say, "Well, let it burn down," and that was delicious, like toasty, flamey taste. Um, it was really, really good. Um, so definitely, the flaming chorizo is worth getting. It was a perfect little, just sort of with a cocktail. Um, the only other thing I'll tell you that was interesting that I had, and then I'll talk about the other thing that's really famous in Portugal is pastries. I did not know that Portuguese they are, bakery, baby. Oh my goodness. The Portuguese breakfast is a very sweet breakfast. Ooh. It is definitely so the main thing is something called a pasteche de nata. Wow. Which is a tiny little uh custard pastry. Maybe an inch and a half around. Okay. And there's famous places that have uh, and there's an area called Belém or Belém. I'm, I'm probably pronouncing it, but it's a beautiful little neighborhood, sort of just like almost a suburb of Lisbon. Okay. And it's a lovely neighborhood, and they have a place that I think it was built in 1837 or something that is still in business, making these pastries. And then, but the funny thing that everyone teased me about is, I went to Portugal, and the two things that they're famous for are these tiny little custard pastries and all the various varieties of very much finger-sized sort of three-bite-sized pastries of all kinds, Mm -hmm. and I'll post some pictures of those, is that I don't eat dairy, and I don't really like port. And people said, so you come to this country... And the two things that we're famous for and you can't really... Well, I did sample it, even though I shouldn't. I did. What do you mean, shouldn't? Who's to say? Who's to say? There's plenty plenty of other things that are lovely to eat. You gotta live a little. Um, Right. And and then there was a very famous place that sells something called... Oh, maybe you know this. It's called Ginji. No, I don't know. It's, it's, (laughs) It's a fortified sort of sweet liqueur which is infused with sour cherry. And again, there was a place that was just like a stand-up bar Mm -hmm. where you just get a shot of the stuff. Yeah. I'm such a light drinker, I actually only had half the shot and then pour the rest down the drain. Oh my God, but you're eating the the dumpling handles. But I, you're... I, I know, I know. I, I, um, but anyway, that was really fun. It was tasty. I just, it was the middle of the day and I didn't feel like having a giant high alcohol but shot. But it's just a shot. It was just a shot, but it, I didn't, it was too sweet for me. I, I'm not yeah. someone who likes sweet If only you had kept things. a dumpling handle, you could have started like a dumpling handle cart. So I did come bearing gifts. There's a lot of chocolate. 
in in Portugal, and they have all kinds of chocolate. Crafts Are you telling me sort of you're thing. brought to me chocolate? Oh, so well, we'll just let everybody know. Any noises you hear? This is real radio. I'm unpacking the various gifts here. The other thing that I had a really fun time with is uh, I had actually read in I think it was 36 Hours in Lisbon. Okay. Uh, on the New York Times was that it's very popular now are these tinned fish and various tinned, and it's even become kind of a trendy sort of hipster thing in America. Too. Oh, absolutely. There's yeah. Fishwife and they've done a collaboration with Fly by Jing and they make this like crazy chili salmon, but right. our cupboard's filled with tin fish right now. Right. So tin fish bars, I don't know if they're called bars, but there are these places that have, they sell beer and they're usually like, you know, like little sort of like, Stalls, stalls. So filled with hundreds of varieties of tin fish. I went to a place which was called uh, Peche and Sol, mm. or Sol, and they spoke English. They were super friendly. And then I ended up showing them where I lived in Cape Cod. On we, Cape Cod. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I uh, met with this great guy who I actually was telling him about how you can grill oysters. And he'd never done that. And he was going to go home and try it himself after oh. I was describing it to him. And I told him that we had a lot of tin fish and we love fish. And so I went to this place and I had a sort of spicy tin tuna and it mm. came with this just delicious bread and olive oil and the best ginger infused uh, herbal tea. It was in a big pot that came and it was kind of a rainy chilly day. Nice. So that was a perfect little afternoon excursion. I love that. So I come bearing gifts. Um, not all of them from Portugal because I also went to Seattle a while ago. So the first thing I have <laughs> of tin fish is wild Alaska skinless, boneless salmon. Oh so my gosh. It's called from Tonka Seafoods in, in Alaska. And that's one can here. Excellent. Thank you so much. I'm not going to sample that at this no, time. But then I'm anxious for you to try this at some point, but it's atum picante or hot tuna. Hey! Um, and it's a pate, a tinned pate. Del but it's spicy. I Ooh, said I, I love a spicy. Spicy. Thank you. And then, as we said, you know, uh, port, uh, Portugal is famous for its port fortified wine. Port is this is a a dark chocolate with port wine in it. Oh, this is a Willy Wonka moment. Very Willy. And so I don't know if you want to try that or not. <laughs> I do. And then and then the last thing I got you is this is something called. Pasta, 100% de cacao, <gasps> sao tome. I'm okay. probably not pronouncing that right. <laughs> and it is made in Portugal, artisanal and handmade. But this is, so the chocolate itself is from Ecuador. And then it's processed in Portugal. And this is chips of it that are used for baking. <gasps> I'm so excited. Thank you so much. So I'm curious. I did not try it while I was there. How could you not have? I, but na but will you um, will you have a bite also? I will have okay. a bite. Sarah is now opening. Uh, I feel like Charlie Bucket. And oh, who knows? It's such a pretty package. I hate to tear it. I do recommend people that they go, and then if they go to Porto, go to Porto. The hotels are very reasonable, and it really is one of the cheapest places you can go in Southern Europe and really have a really good time. Oh my God! So, what's it taste like? Well, I'll just find out. It has the filling. The filling has got the port. It's oh, like a it's got port like a ganache. That is really good. It's so delicious. And I tend to think. And you don't even like chocolate. I, I'm, I don't mind a little chocolate from time to time. I don't really like port wine, um, but that is really good. I love port. And I'm happy to say to people that this is way tastier than I thought it was going to be. 
So, so delicious. Thank you so much. So yippee yo kaye. Looks like you might have some presents for me. These items do relate to many of the topics that we've discussed on this show. Okay. For those of you who listen, we were talking about how you control the thickness of dough. Exactly. And Sarah was describing to me the fact that you can actually get a device. Yeah, it's just the rolling pin rings. Rolling pin rings. I can see you put them around the rolling pin and then however thick that is, you get a nice even thickness of thing they're like little rubber bracelets that you put on the ends of your rolling pin right they look sort of like you know what is it live strong kind of things. right they're like bangles from the 80s anyway thank you so much i can't wait to try them i am now unwrapping well what looks like a book-like object i thought you would enjoy this sometimes in the kitchen with dinah <laughs> someone's in the kitchen with someone's dinah. in like the kitchen the song. In the, like the like the song only there's a wonderful very you know ultimate 60s photo with a with a blonde flip of of the uh singer talk show host for those of you who are old enough to remember dinah shore i used to watch this show all the time i just thought you would think um, it was very funny this cookbook look at the face she's making on the back <laughs> ah i i pledge you mm -hmm. that i will make a recipe <gasps> from the book excellent maybe i'll find something that sounds like the grossest of the recipes and we'll do a gross not gross oh we haven't done gross not gross no, in some we, time we haven't done that in a while let me just read to you the names of some of these recipes ready omelette grand mare that means grandmother's omelette oh i thought it was like grand c and then we have jody's eggs <laughs> that sounds terrible and shrimp balls. What else? Chicken fricassee and dumplings. Maybe. Abraham Lincoln's favorite dish, by the way. Really? That's from our from our last oh, episode. The trivia. Trivia question. <laughs> um, it also has mother's borscht, veal birds with pine nuts, and the Benny's roast chicken. I have no idea to what that refers. There are a lot of recipes in this. There's about 1,100 recipes in this book. <laughs> But not to be outdone, Fanny Bryce's super chocolate cake. I bet that is pretty good. Here's one. Unfattening strawberry ice cream. That yeah. is the name. It's interesting from, um, when was this published? Um, or the Loser's Coffee Cake. Well, that's perfect for me. <laughs> this dates to 1971. Oh my so gosh. I'm interested to see what people thought was diet food in 1971. <laughs> Unfattening strawberry ice cream and the Loser's Coffee Cake for me, please. Right. Well, thank you very much. Happy holidays. Happy, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Let's go where I'll keep on wearing those frills and flowers and buttons and bows, rings and things and buttons and bows. Something we haven't really done in a long time because we haven't done the show in a long time is what did you make last week? It's been like a long time since we've met, so I could pretend of something even you I made three weeks ago. You don't need to tell us ago. that. Just tell yeah. us what you made um, last Well, week. actually, the most fun thing that I made, and I actually brought you the recipe, oh. is because I'm really trying hard not to use the New York Times recipe app for every time I cook something. When I went on my trip, I bought a Bon Appetit magazine. And then I found there, as people know who listen to the show and then people know out in the world who know me, I don't eat dairy as a, as a general practice. And they had something called a, uh, the Bon Appetit magazine from uh, January issue 2023 is a flourless chocolate meringue cake. 
And as I read through the recipe, I noticed not only was it flourless, but it was dairy-free. Not vegan because it calls for five large eggs, just so you know. So I'm not going to read you the recipe, but the reason that I wanted to make this yes. was also because I have often been admonished for not using my electric mixer enough. Enough? Like who, what's enough? Like, like at once, all. Like a once a year. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've been trying to find things to do with it. And this called for just making a traditional meringue. And it also involved tempering chocolate. Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, I'm going to try to do this where, um, you know, where you do the simmering water and you put the chocolate chips on top and you just let it, you know, um, the double uh, boiler, the double boiler yeah. kind of thing. Banner and I thought these are all good ex exercises for me to work on. Um, and I can say that both of those technical challenges, mm -hmm. so to speak, <laughs> both of those technical challenge went really smoothly. The chocolate melted the way it was supposed to. I did that correctly. And I made a meringue where I, even though I was all alone in my kitchen, where I flipped it up the bowl upside down over my head to make okay. sure it did not fall on my head. <laughs> Is it, this sounds like it's sort of like a giant macaroon almost. It is, it is. It, it's or pretty much macron. a Yeah, it's pretty much a giant macron. The only problem is it called for a nine inch spring form pan. Yeah. I only had a 12 inch. Oh, um, so it was very thin. So it was a little bit almost more like a pie than a cake. Yeah. Um, and the other thing about it, and then I'll just say it came out really successfully. It was tasty. However, I was recently reading an interview with Jacques Pepin where he had a, five tips to good cooking. And one of them was repeat, repeat, repeat. Meaning if you want to be really good at a recipe, don't assume when you make it once it's going to come out great. That doesn't mean you're a bad cook. It just means keep making it when you learn more about how you make it so you're comfortable in how you prepare for it. And this was the perfect example of that because it tasted a little too salty, but I followed exactly the recipe. Mm -hmm. But you just never know how someone whose palate made right. this recipe or whatever in their test kitchen or whatever, I found it to be a little too salty. And if I were to make it again, I would actually use a little less sugar and a little less salt. How much salt does it call It's one for? and a half teaspoon, I think. And but that's if it's the diamond crystal right. or it's three quarters a teaspoon if it's kosher salt. Then right. it says plus more. Yeah, so so it was sort of like t had a weird kind of. Then it says add a pinch. Yeah, their their vibes already like whatever with the salt. Yeah, and I, and I actually felt like I don't mind. I don't like things to be too sweet, so I don't mind a hint of mm -hmm. of salt, especially if it's chocolatey. Um, but I if I would make it again, and I would reduce by probably half the amount of salt it asked for. Nonetheless, it was and if you and I did fold it in carefully, I yeah. think I could still keep it airier. Mm -hmm. Um, but what was great about it is it, it did have a nice meringue crust on it. Yeah. And then it was soft and cakey in the inside. So in theory, I would definitely make it again. I would use the right nine inch pan because it was a little too pie-ish. Right. Um, but that's okay. It came out okay. You could totally put whipped cream on it if you wanted or something like that. So of all the things that I've made since we last talked about, I thought that would be fun because I never talk about baking. You never do. And I never bake. And so I figured I would highlight my baking. So Sarah, what about you? What did you make? Well, this week I made a white bean roast poblano chili. Totally vegan. And you don't really miss there being meat in there. Although you could add like a plant meat crumble if you wanted. But mm -hmm. it's definitely 
bean based and the recipe calls for both cannellini beans which are my favorite bean and pinto beans but i used all cannellini beans because why not why not this the recipe is a little labor it has to be one of those things you're like listening to a podcast and you you're ready to like do all of the work for it because you have to roast you have to cut and see the peppers so there's poblano peppers and anaheim peppers which you can sub out for like hungarian wax pepper they're kind of like the long pale green peppers which one of these is hot neither 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 of them are very hot you have to cut them seed them and roast them broil them so that the skins kind of bubble up like they have a sunburn because then you have to peel the skins off blister yes it is a little labor intensive but then once you get it together like i made this dinner on during the day sunday intended for monday night's dinner because I also find like with soups and stews are always better the second day anyway. Definitely. So because it wasn't for that night, it was it was the mindset of having to do so much prep didn't bother me because it wasn't due right. at that <laughs> night for dinner. Right. And you have to roast corn kernels too that you add in at the end. But again, like you said, I've made this a number of times, but once you get familiar with the recipe, you know like, oh... I'm not going to do this much salt or I'm going to also add this spice because I found Mm -hmm. it lacking, you know, the first times I've made it. But it's a great dish for a cold January day. Where was that recipe? It's from Vegan for Everybody, America's Test Kitchen's book, which is... (laughs) This is your go-to. The (laughs) go-to book. Like, I don't don't actually even need to look at this recipe anymore, which then is maybe a signal to get a new recipe or try a new dish. But, you know, we get on those rats, right? Like, we're just, you know the things that you are confident you can make, that you know your way through the recipe, and you don't have to actually read it through first and then pay a lot of attention. And because time, these days around cooking, you know, you're crunched for time, so you want to do something that you can wrap your arms around. I agree. I don't mind taking a really long time making a recipe that I've made more than once because I know the whole process enough that I've really enjoyed, like, for instance, whether it be a coq au vin or a terrine, uh, I mean, a tagine or things that I love to make a lot, different stews. I've made them so many times that the process doesn't daunt me because I know how much it's, and I also say, oh, I'll read a newspaper during this time. Right, like you know what you're in for. I know what I'm in for, and it's also so nice to realize I've made this so many times that I can vary it from time to time. Right. And it's a great thing to serve to people because, like you said, if you don't have to serve it till the next day, when those people come over to your house or whatever, you don't have to do anything except put it on the table. Yes. Um, which which is also really nice. Adam, you were telling me a little while ago about some great recommendations you got from the Wellfleet Public Library. Yeah, and I was, I was sort of triggered by the fact that we were talking about over the holidays people who gave us cookbooks. Right. And, and no one can deny that if you want a hardcover cookbook that's all great and everything but they cost a lot of money and maybe not everybody needs to have that many of them so i was at the wellfleet public library and they had this fantastic display of recommended cookbooks and it first of all reminded me boy you can always go to the library and get recipes without having to buy a cookbook uh but also um i love to support local stuff and especially provincetown east ham orleans 
Wealthly, Truro all have really great libraries. Um, so does Brewster. And Brewster. And Just we, saying. <laughs> yeah, and, and all of them do. And I think that's one of the great things about the Adder Cape is its continued use and love and quality of their libraries. So they had they had a, a lot of uh, books that were sort of lined up in a stack, but then they had some recommended ones at the Wellfleet Library. I'm just going to – and I'll post them as well. Okay. Um, so one of them was Diasporican by Ooh. Ileana Maisonet or Maisonet. Um, which is um, Puerto Rican-American food. And then Bliss on Toast by Prue Leith, P-R-U-E, and then L-E-I-T-H. Uh, a cookbook called Cooking with Mushrooms by Andrea Gentle. And that's gentle without any on the end. And Tali, uh, this is the one I'm really interested in. Tali, A Joyful Celebration of Indian Home Cooking by Monica Gawardhan, or Gawardhan. And the last one, and I think this is really interesting, is Budmo by Anna Vilashnina, and it's recipes from Ukrainian kitchen. Um, I'll, I'll post those names, but the main thing is just that I, these are all cookbooks I didn't really know about, and it's the great thing about librarians is they do a lot of research, and they find really good things to recommend for people, and we love our local libraries, and so that's what I got to say about that. Well, especially exciting that there's a book by Prue who is the host of the Great British Bake Off. That's very exciting. Which That's ha right. Have you finished watching it? I haven't finished it. We'll get back to oh! that. Um, just a little local hubbub. The Wellfleet Preservation Hall is looking for soup makers for their next soup social on February 9th. If you're interested in cooking solo or being part of a soup making team, please email Emily at wellfleetpreservationhall.org. Sarah, we are at a time that was a lot of fun here on Food on the Radio. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Adam. Take a seat in this dream kitchen.